travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Train travel is one of the most in-touch and connected ways to travel. Many a novel has been written around such journeys and the romance therein. With the advent of air travel and the cost of doing so dropping rapidly in the last decade, train travel has become not as economical as it once was. At the same time, many countries are upgrading their rail systems and others still rely on decrepit ones, which can be part of the appeal and charm itself. On this episode, we'll chat with train travel expert Mark Smith, also known as the man in seat 61, who maintains the world's top website for train travel information. From Bangkok, Thailand, this is Scott Coates, and with me, as always, from Cambodia is... Trevor Range is here in Cambodia, as you mentioned. Uh, where we don't have a whole lot of trains. There are some trains. Uh, they're quite old. Um, it's mm -hmm. more of a novelty train experience than an actual get yourself from A to B experience. But it seems that that's one of the things that, right. that train travel is about. It's not just about getting there. It's about the, the journey as well. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think it is a journey. And I, I was thinking, what train trips have I done? As a kid, I remember I was born in Ottawa and we did a couple train trips up the East Coast. And in Thailand, I've gone Thailand to Chiang Mai. I've also gone Bangkok. I'm sorry, Bangkok to Chiang Mai, Bangkok to Songkhla in the south. And then seven years ago, my dad and I did the Trans-Siberian from Moscow to Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia and then uh, south uh, to the border with Hong Kong. And, you know, yeah, that's, it, that is all about the journey. Like, why would anyone sit in a cramped quarter with someone else for pleasure, right? But it is the journey. And that uh, trip through uh, Russia, we used the Man of Seat 61's website extensively. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't done a ton of train trip, but uh, train travel. But, yeah, the, the journey is the journey, right? I think you've got about 25 times as much train travel experience as I do. I, I love the <laughs> idea, but I've done very, very little travel by train. I've done that okay. overnight train from Bangkok to Chiang Mai a couple of times. Um, I'd always dreamed of having a train party where we get like a couple of dozen people and we party <laughs> on the train because it's an overnight train. But then they went and made alcohol illegal on the train. So that's all out. And uh, one time I took an overnight train with a private cabin from Ho Chi Minh City to Natrang. Um, and that's okay. pretty cool. And that's about it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned down to Songkhla. I took the train uh, from Bangkok to Suratani uh, near Koh Samui. Uh, when I was a backpacker back in the 90s and I, I got a third class seat which is just like a little wooden bench and it's like a 12-hour 12-hour overnight on, on a little wooden uh, thing so uh, I could have used the man in seat 61's uh, advice uh, on that time um, yeah otherwise like I love the the concept of traveling by train um, I hate to fly because I can't sleep on airplanes um, so if I take a red eye, I have to spend the whole night walking up and down the aisle. Uh, the train to me seems like such a better idea because you can walk around. They have restaurant cars. They have bar cars. Uh, you can get a private room for a much more reasonable price than a first class train or a airplane ticket. 
Um, and and just yeah, just about everything from the train experience uh, seems awesome to me, except for here in Southeast Asia when the guy who gets on selling the dried squid uh, starts walking up mm. and down the aisle and stinks the whole place up. Uh, that's just yeah. torture. It's like being in a little prison cell there. Yeah, the only thing I can think of that really sucks is, I mean, the toilets are, I mean, toilets on planes aren't great either, but yeah. toilets on trains can generally get pretty rough, especially on that Trans-Siberian I was on, and the shower didn't really work on that one at all. Um, we shower on a train. Yeah, yeah there was a shower, but it didn't really work. That said, you know, uh, the train we got on from Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia to Beijing, was brand new train clean comfy really impressive mm. and then the high speed train we took from beijing down to i think it was shenzhen uh, was incredible 2100 kilometers in 11 hours uh was neat so you know you mentioned good points i mean the connectedness is is really neat right the fact that you can like you said walk around smile with other people meet people have conversations grab little bits of food jump out at a quick stop and grab something from someone selling on the platform like it makes that that aspect of travel really really unique yeah and if you're traveling with someone you can sit opposite each other you can play cards mm. like it, it's just and you know it's just all in all like i would love to have more train travel experience but it just hasn't hasn't really been as available to me, I guess. Yeah, well, before we bring our guest in to really get into the nitty-gritty of it, Trevor and I do this out of the goodness of our heart and love of travel. We pay for hosting, editing, all of that, and we do need financial support. So please go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and sponsorship starts from $1 a month upwards. And there's some really fun levels of sponsorship where we'll talk about you here on the show, send you a postcard, send you a gift, and so forth. So please do sponsor sponsor the show and let's get into it. Mark Smith is from the UK and has enjoyed a life in rail. He started his career as a station manager for British Rail and also assumed that position for London's Charing Cross and London Bridge stations in the 1990s. He's also been a customer relations manager for two UK train companies and later head of fares and ticketing regulation at the Department for Transport. He started his website, The Man and Seat 61, purely as a hobby in 2001, and it became his full-time job in 2007 and now receives up to 1 million visits per month, helping people travel by train and ferry in the UK, across Europe, and worldwide. He joins us from his home in Quainton in the UK. Hi there, Mark. How are you doing? Hello. Doing well? Very well, thanks. Great. Did I say the name of your hometown properly? Quainton, yeah. Quaint by name, quaint by nature. Perfect. Well, let's start with a real easy one. Did you always love train travel or was this a, a byproduct of your professional occupation? I, I started working for the railways because I love travel and love travel by train or ship. Um, it would be nice to become an officer on a liner, but you have to spend a lot of time watching boxes, watching boxes in front of you uh, <laughs> before you become that. So I thought, well, I'll join the railways. That would be a good, uh, a good career. But it was, it was travel that really drove it. And if you, if you love travel, the journey is important. And if you love the journey, well, you want to see where you're going and be treated like a human being. And that really means train and ship. Hey, uh, I'm curious, like as a child, I had a number of model train sets. Uh, did you play with trains as a kid? Uh, was that something you were always into or did it just come about the way you just explained it? Oh, we all played. We, we all had train sets back then. I'm, I'm, most people did, I think, in, the, in that era. But I also had Skelectric. I also made airfix kits of uh, fighter planes and all the all the usual stuff. 
Okay, so what were some of your earliest memorable train journeys then? Well, I think my first solo overseas trip was at the tender age of 13. And uh, my parents would drive from Buckinghamshire to across London to Sidcup to see my grandparents. And I was trusted to be dropped off at Waterloo East and catch a short train ride on my own, sort of independence, if you like, to uh, Eltham and then a bus to Sidcup. But I had other plans. Uh, I saved up all of £2.73 for a child rate uh, cheap day return to the Isle of Wight and uh, headed off there without telling my parents. Um, I don't know why I chose the Isle of Wight. Perhaps it was going to be my first overseas trip, but uh, my mother was uh, too relieved when I finally turned up at my grandparents uh, to scold me. So, Mark, you were a professional railman for a long, long time. What prompted you to actually start the man in seat 61? And what can people find there? Well, I was commuting to and from London, and uh, the momentous day arrived where I finally finished my novel. Not novel I was writing, the novel I was uh, reading on the train home. So I went into the newsagents at Marylebone Station in London to find something else to read. And I found a teach yourself book about HTML, the language that websites are written in. Um, probably the best £2.95 I have ever spent. Um, and it worked. I looked at a web page online. And I thought I would do something about how easy, practical, affordable, and above all enjoyable it is to take the train from the UK to Spain, Italy, Budapest, Stockholm, wherever, and how downright impossible it had become to find anyone in the commercial world, meaning the rail industry or the wider mm -hmm. travel industry, who would tell you how to do it. And I thought I would be sort of subversive and put that information online. Just the train times, the fares, how to buy tickets, photographs and information about what the trains are like um, to help people make those journeys by train instead of plane. And I thought it was a cry in the wilderness. I certainly didn't expect it to, well, I certainly didn't expect it to become my full-time job. So why the name The Man in Seat 61? Well, it's, it's, it's named after my favourite seat on Eurostar. It became a sort of tradition that if I was going somewhere special, like London to Nagasaki via Moscow, Vladivostok and the Trans-Siberian Railway, or London to Marrakesh via Paris, Madrid and Gibraltar, or um, to the Ukraine and Crimea, um, to book Eurostar first class. And I like a seat that's a face-to-face, -face, one of a face-to-face -face table for two that's got, that lines up with the window, not one of those pillars. And I looked at the seating plan, seat 61 was the one, so that was the seat that I always booked. And it, it became a sort of tradition. And by the time the website arrived, the name was already there. Hmm, very interesting. So how did you get to the point that you were able to transition to this website becoming a full-time career? Well, it started with Amazon. Um, I recommended some guidebooks and found that Amazon had an affiliate scheme that if somebody clicked on the guidebook, Lonely Planet or a rough guide, and went and bought it, I got a few percent commission and I think fairly quickly I earned 20 quid and bought a curry and I thought this is good this is a hobby that buys me curries um, and it sort of snowballed from there because various train ferry hotel companies do affiliate schemes so if you have a website with a high volume of visitors even though each one percent two percent commission whatever is fairly small it adds up and you can actually make a, a living at it. 
which is great because uh, it's become a bit of a monster to update. And I don't know how I would continue to update it and research it if I had to hold down a full-time job as well. So yeah, I'm now interested. Like we love stories about these entrepreneurial businesses that kind of start without intention of doing so. Tell us a bit about what is it like? What's the journey like running this website and service that you have now? Well, every morning I sort of look at my inbox and uh, when in normal times I would get about 30 to 40 emails a day giving me feedback, which means I need to incorporate that into the website, uh, asking me questions which I can help people with. And of course, that's, that's good for the website too, because I can identify what concerns people have, the questions people have, and I can, I can change and update the website to anticipate that and help future people. Um, so after the uh, emails, then I would uh, do updates arising from that because train companies are really annoying. You know, they keep changing things. Uh, the massive timetable update in Europe happens twice a year in June and December, and that's two weeks of solid slog updating numbers. The nice bit of the web, running the website is doing research trips, traveling on trains, checking out the catering, taking photographs and video uh, that I can use on the site to showcase that journey. Okay, so then how often do you get out and do that? How, how much of your time is spent actually riding trains? Not often enough. <laughs> I've got a young family, so I can't just uh, spend all my time traveling. But I get out regularly uh, for major trips a couple of times a year, for small trips into Europe for a few days here, a few days there, um, every month or two. And uh, that's that's the fun part of running the site. So what actually made us reach out to you, I used your site with my father six years ago for a Trans-Siberian trip. And then I was looking at your your site and noticed that you listed two of your favorite train journeys as both being in Asia. So we thought, let's hear about those. So I'm going to butcher the names, but we're hoping you can share a little bit about why you love these trips and what they're like, maybe one at a time. So maybe let's start with the new Jalpalguri Darjeeling on the Darjeeling Himalaya Railway. Did I say that right? And if so, can you tell us a bit about why you love that route? <laughs> I can't guarantee my pronunciation okay. will be uh, any better, but um, the the, uh, the Indians call it NJP, and I can understand why. Um, it, it's the toy train up to Darjeeling. It's a fantastic ride. You catch the overnight broad gauge sleeper from Calcutta to NJP, and then it's an eight-hour narrow gauge ride on this tiny little train, the steam train when I did it, um, up up, up into the hills. It spirals around on itself, uh, climbing, climbing, climbing up into the foothills of the Himalayas to the uh, hill station of Darjeeling. And it's it's a combination of scenery and history. It's, it's not just transportation like so many of these trips. It's an experience in itself with some superb views over the, over the uh, Himalayas. Yeah, that seems to be one of the cool things about train travel to me is not just the getting from A to B, but but the trains themselves, some of which, you know, I'm here in Cambodia and they use these old retro 1950s train cars that they've 
restored. So when you're traveling in this train, which sounds very quaint and Darjeeling looks like an amazing place, what are what are the cabins like? What are the cars like? What is it, what's the room like on this train? Well, <laughs> funnily enough, it's better than the buses. You've got more room to move your legs, move your elbows than being crammed into one of the buses, even though the buses up to Darjeeling take half the time. Um, so it's a very basic train. It's not luxurious. Uh, it costs a pittance to travel on. So it's a really cheap one of the great experiences of India, but it costs absolute peanuts, just a, a few dollars. That's all you need, really. Uh, take your own water and food along and just enjoy the ride and that superb Himalayan scenery. Okay, how about uh, when you get up there? Do you have any recommendations? I, I haven't actually been on your website in a while, so I don't recall whether or not you give tips beyond the train, like when you end up in these destinations. Obviously, you have maybe your preferred places to stay, but do you give advice on like where people might stay when they get off the train in these destinations? Oh, absolutely. In the case of Darjeeling, there is a superb long established hotel called the Windermere Hotel that started life as a uh, place to stay for bachelor tea planters and is now uh, a hotel that's straight out of the Raj, uh, complete with cold porter tunes on the piano at afternoon tea. Uh, it's a superb base. It's one of my favourite hotels in the world. Uh, and of course, you need to get out at dawn to Tiger Hill to watch the sunrise over the Himalayas. That is quite spectacular. That's certainly worth getting up early for. Wow, that just sounds amazing. And your second favourite train journey is also in Asia. And the British also had a hand in it. I'm curious, please tell us about your trip. You said Mandalay to Gokhtiak and I'm going to say this wrong, Nyong Shui. Tazi route in Myanmar. Yeah, the, the railways in Burma are fantastic. I mean, they, they are probably one of some of the least developed in Asia. You still find mock Tudor signal boxes and red and white semaphore signals left by the British. And this particular railway from Mandalay up to Lashio takes you over the Gokhtake viaduct. It was once the highest viaduct in the British Empire. In fact, it was built by an American firm, but it's this spider web of steel girders over this massive gorge filled with rainforest. You can do it as a day trip from Mandalay if you take the train over the viaduct, switch trains from the northbound one to the southbound one and return to Mandalay. And again, these are pretty basic trains, but they're not air conditioned. The windows open. There's nothing between you and the scenery. Um, and it costs a pittance to travel on once you're there, of course. Yeah, actually, you know, I was looking at a Google map and uh, hopefully you can help us uh, pin some of these locations on a Google map to share with our listeners on our show notes. Um, but that gorge looks kind of terrifying. Is, is the ride a bit scary? I mean, these aren't brand new trains. This is uh, and you're saying you can look right out the window at the cliff. Uh, is, is it kind of like a roller coaster type thrill, even though it's going super slow, perhaps? Well, you keep telling yourself that the viaduct hasn't collapsed yet and has two trains a day going over it. So you just hope that this isn't the occasion when any of those girders give way. But it is a very, very spindly viaduct that's been there for decades. Um, and it, it would be quite a long way to fall. It's incredibly high over that valley floor. So are these two rail journeys the kind of trips that people without you know, much experience in train travel can do? Or do you suggest starting with something a little less complex? Anyone can do these. It's it's just a question of going to the station, buying a ticket and getting on the train. It's that simple. And these aren't expensive luxury tourist experiences uh, that cost thousands of pounds, thousands of dollars. 
you can travel on these trains. Once, you, once you've obviously got to the country where they're happening, uh, it just costs a pittance, just a few dollars, a few pounds, whatever, to travel on these trains. Anyone can do it. The difficult bit is finding out about them because they're not things that your average travel agent would uh, peddle. They're not lucrative for the travel industry. You won't find them on lots and lots of uh, posh travel websites or travel magazines. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it, these two trains in particular, but just trains in general, it kind of has this romanticism to it, doesn't it? And, and you know, you, you can mingle with the people, you can see the countryside as it goes by. Um, but now, especially here in Asia, they're building all these high speed rail lines, uh, which are great for getting from A to B, um, but do you think that that's really going to change the experience? Do you see that as a, as a downside to train travel? It will change the experience uh, from some of what's there at the moment, but they're still, they still show you the scenery, they're still overland, and you're still traveling the way the locals do with the people of that country, as opposed to flying over it at 35,000 feet or being inside a tourist bubble in a tourist couch. What do you think is the future of train travel in Asia? And is it going to get better or worse for travelers? Well, in many ways, it will get better as lines are modernized. Even in Burma, the rather um, ropey Yangon to Mandalay route is, is being upgraded. So it, it, they won't have the occasional derailment as they do, low speed derailment as they do now. It will be more quicker and more reliable. Um, there will be more high speed lines built. Then again, in Thailand, for example, we have the new Bangsu Rail Terminal, uh, a massive modern building located in the north of the city. It's not going to be as historic as taking the train all the way into the, history, the 1900s built Kuala Lumpur Station. Um, and that, I'll be sorry to see that change. So, I mean, again, it seems that we generally agree that the charm of train travel is, is perhaps some of these older trains and these classic lines. Um, how like how do you think you would go about featuring those on your website? You know, because your 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 website is a practical guide for people who wish to travel by train. But uh, you know, do you think like do maybe people could select the fastest way or the most romantic roundabout way or the cheapest way? Like, how do you see like you know the the role of the, of these older trains fitting into this new development in, in train travel? Well, it's about options. It's about telling people what's out there, telling people enough about them to make a decision. Do they want the modern fast option or do they want to take the slower, uh, more historic version? And it's about showing them pictures of what to expect. Because I reckon you can sell airline tickets anywhere because everyone knows what a plane looks like. They all look the same. With trains, it's all different. The scenery is different. The train itself is different. They've got different classes. They've got different types of uh, sleeping accommodation. So actually showing people what the journey's like and what the train's like is really important. And giving people those different options um, to make a nice decision that maximizes what they get out of their travel experiences. What train trips are still on your bucket list? Because I feel like you're a man that's probably almost ridden them all, but are there any that you still want to hit? There's some unfinished business uh, on the train from Beijing to Lhasa in Tibet. Uh, I was booked on that oh, some years ago until they changed the Tibet permit requirement and I had to cancel that trip. And of course, this year's written off even though I've still got a multiple entry China visa. So uh, it's going to have to happen in the next few years. I'll keep trying. And I believe you also mentioned something about like Turkey to Iran when we talked previously. 
That's right. There is uh, a train service now once a week between Ankara and Tehran. Uh, Iran is uh, a fantastic place to visit. I haven't got there yet, but I want to. Uh, I'm told they're really nice people and they've got a really good, comfortable rail network. Uh, and with a direct train from Turkey, it would be possible to get there all the way from London. Okay, I have an interesting kind of question because when I was talking to Scott about his train adventures, uh, we talked about a bit about the food on the trains. And I, you know, I haven't traveled a lot on trains, but the food cars seems to be one of the coolest features of it, aside from like in Thailand where they come on the, the train and try and sell you dried squid. Um, do, do, you, do you bring your own food on board often? Do you like bring a picnic or do you generally rely on, on the train food when you're traveling by train? It depends where I'm going. But of course, for the website, I've got to try the train food and uh, see what it's like so I can tell people what it's like, tell people whether to bring their own supplies or try it out. Um, not that impressed with French train food where it's all microwaved and packaged. Uh, really impressed, for example, with... Um, the food uh, in Japanese stations where they have bento boxes that you can take on with sushi. Um, it varies enormously from country to country. And that's what's so nice about it. Airline food always seems to be the same wherever you are. Train food, station food, it's different everywhere. It's part of the culture of the country you're visiting. Okay, I have a real rookie question here. It's actually got a couple parts, but what's the difference between narrow and wide gauge? I mean, I'm assuming just one is wider and more narrow, but what's better and what do you tend to find in Asia? You find a mixture. Uh, in Europe, it's mostly standard gauge, although for street, excuse me, strategic reasons, the Russians decided to go for three, several inches wider. Spanish and Portuguese have also gone for wider uh, trap gauge, the rails being further apart. In Asia, you often find meter gauge or three foot six gauge with the rails closer together. That means the trains are slightly smaller. There's not quite as much room, but those railways can go around tighter curves uh, they were cheaper to build. Um, so, yeah, it, it it varies. Okay, how about your uh, maybe top three tips for people, for them to have the, the best possible train trip experience? Well, of course, look up where you're going on seat61.com and see what train journeys are out there because maybe you can avoid a very long and uncomfortable bus journey or a domestic flight where you're just not going to see anything um, by taking a train. And in many cases, scheduled trains are not expensive. They can be a great experience uh, and actually save you money over a flight. Okay, there's one. Got two more for us. I'd also say invest in a guidebook, a printed guidebook. I know there's lots of information out there for free on the internet, but I started traveling with Lonely Planets and Rough Guides uh, printed guidebooks and you will see much more. And there's almost too much information on the internet in general about hotels and travels and attractions. A printed guidebook, you can take it with you. It works offline. You don't need an internet connection. And it will cut through the information overload and actually say, these are some good tips. These are some good hotels. These are some good attractions to see. So don't underestimate the need for a good old fashioned printed guidebook. Just a book in general might be good, eh? Because uh, do trains, do most trains have internet nowadays? No. I mean, a lot do in the developed countries, but in the developing countries, not so much. But also, I find that uh, even when I travel around Europe, I'm better off using my mobile data. So I'm a bit of a heretic on uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, I actually find it easier just to use my data package, assuming I'm not going to somewhere where the, the data is incredibly expensive. 
Great. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for making time for us. And I can attest to your site being the place for train info. And there is a ton there. So on our show notes, listeners, we'll have links to the man in seat 61 and some other things we talked about. Mark, wishing you luck on hitting one of those bucket list train trips very soon. And thank you so much. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. You know, again, like I've I've always loved the idea of trains. Listening to Mark talk about it uh, is certainly inspiring. You know, I think I'd like to try and and go out of my way, maybe a little bit more to to ride the train. Um, You know, here in Cambodia, like we do have a train. Uh, It does run from like Phnom Penh to Battambang and it goes from Phnom Penh down to Kampot and Kep only on the weekends, um, like we discussed slightly there in the the episode. But I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. And... uh, just because, you know, like it, it is kind of fun. It is social. Um, you can sort of stick your head out the window. You get the fresh air, the fresh breeze. Um, you know, we have the bamboo train here in Cambodia as well, which uh, if people want to go to the show notes, that's a very unique, very distinctive uh, kind of Cambodian train car. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, I've definitely been inspired by by Mark to do some train travel. How about you? Yeah, I want to do more. I haven't done any in a long, long time. And, you know, both of his train trips he talked about, I'm in. I want to do them. I've heard the trains in Myanmar are awful. Like they literally bounce off the tracks, but I'd like to experience. Yeah, that's like Cambodia. Yeah. <laughs> but the one, the one in Darjeeling, maybe we should do that one together. Maybe that's a trip because that sounds awesome. Yeah, I think we should both fly to Calcutta on a cheap ticket, spend a couple of days oh. there, and then do that train up there. That sounds neat. And the photo he shared, man, it looks like a toy train. It doesn't even look real. Um, another place I'd love to do train is I've been to Sri Lanka once, but I didn't do trains. And I know that some of the routes really lend themselves to train. They got, um, they got trains. Yeah, I guess they would have trains there. Huh? Yeah, they do have trains up into Kandy and the hills and stuff. Uh, Mark, you know, told us about his journey across Canada. I would love to do that, but that's really expensive. And maybe some, uh, I'd love to go across parts of Central Asia on trains. So yeah, I, I, I'm in. How about you? Where would you like to go on train? Yeah, you know, again, I mean, on on Dream Travel Destinations 3, I mentioned that Sri Lanka is a destination that I hope to get to in the near future. Mm -hmm. I didn't really even think about whether or not there would be trains there, so I would definitely try to get on a train for that one. Again, when we did uh, the Calcutta episode with Tom Vader, uh, he talked about the train up to Darjeeling, and then Mark today talked about the train that is up there in Darjeeling. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I think that one's definitely uh, possible as well. So hopefully we'll get to do some of these, and uh, and then maybe in season four next year we can, uh, we can talk about some of our adventures together, because I think uh, you and I should take a few trips together um, aside from the, the, the select few that we've done, including the Prekan motorcycle adventure, that, that's an episode that'll be coming out soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, travel by train, awesome. Uh, go to our show notes, talktravelasia.com. We'll have a Google map showing you where some of these locations are. We'll have a link to Mark's uh, website, The Man in Seat 61, some photos of uh, some of his cool train adventures. And of course, you can uh, donate to the show. We'll have a link on our website to our Patreon page for as little as a dollar a month. You can sponsor our show, and we'd really appreciate that because uh, you know we're going on like six years now of doing this, and uh, it has actually added up to quite a lot. It's a great hobby and i'm glad we're doing it and 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 i'm glad that there's people listening but uh you know having a little bit of support uh would sure be appreciated yeah so thanks everyone for listening thank you in advance for some of that financial love hope you got inspired on this episode i know we love this one and in two weeks we'll be back with some more tantalizing travel talk so until then get dreaming to travel
Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall in Hortan and Cambodia?